as wives and especially as mothers, what is our moral obligation to be healthy? What does that mean? Welcome back to our series, Healthy Holy Beauty. This is part two, and in part one, we covered four layers of discussion. First, we discussed the saying, faith is caught, not taught. Second, we talked about our mission territory as wives, which is our own home. Third, we talked about the power of joy in making something or someone attractive. And fourth, we touched very briefly on the incredible truth that being joy-filled actually makes you measurably healthier physically. And at the beginning of the first part of this series, Healthy Holy Beauty, I gave the caveat that these layers of discussion, which I'm presenting, are not in perfect order. And I just want to reiterate that now before launching into the continuation of our series. Okay, so with our fifth layer, let's continue on the thread of health. Health, of course, is a multifaceted thing. There's physical health, but there's also mental health and emotional health and spiritual health. Now, our spiritual health is objectively the most important, but is there a least important among the remaining three? And I want to suggest that that's the wrong question. Everything is ordered towards God. And so our mental, emotional, and physical health should be striven for and accomplished in service to him. We have an obligation out of obedience to him to seek to stay reasonably healthy mentally, emotionally, and physically. There is a formal heresy, that is to say a belief which is formally denounced by the church, which says that the body is worthless. This is a heretical belief. While there is the danger of idolizing the body, of elevating the physical realm to a greater importance than the spiritual one, there is also a danger in the other direction of devaluing the body. This can be difficult to understand given that there are many saints who intentionally offered some sort of physical suffering, who intentionally subjected themselves to physical suffering as an acceptable offering to Christ. So two things here. First, that much of this was done under the care of a spiritual director. Um, I have heard it said by priests that obedience to your spiritual director is obedience to God. If you are under the care of a spiritual director, that's one matter. You're not in a position to make those decisions by yourself without spiritual direction. And secondly, that different vocations have different needs and differing obligations. So for example, pregnant and breastfeeding mothers have a moral obligation to keep ourselves physically healthy so that our breastfed or in utero children receive the nutrition that they legitimately need. It would be sinful to intentionally allow ourselves to be undernourished to the point where our child would suffer as a direct result. A cloistered, consecrated religious does not have the same moral obligation with regards to nutrition as the pregnant 
or breastfeeding mother. So the cloistered, consecrated religious might fast more, and that would be okay. Another example is that in religious communities, presumably, there are enough adults in the community that should one member fall ill, there would be many ways and many options for redistributing their work. You, however, as a wife, and especially as a mother, are in a singularly unique position. Your husband has no other wife. Your children have no other mother. You're it. (laughs) Side story here. Um, The origins of Doppelbach are actually found in the strict Lenten fast observed by an order of Bavarian monks who banished all solid food from their diet for the entire Lenten period. And while there are saints who have been given incredible graces by God to be able to remain healthy and nourished and be sustained by reception of the Eucharist as their only food, for an entire order of monks to do this for all of Lent, um, while we hope that these monks were very holy and that saints were indeed produced by these practices, um, what Doppelbach means is actually liquid bread. Doppelbach was specifically brewed to meet the monks' nutritional needs so that they would be able to continue during Lent with their normal schedule, with their normal daily work, with their normal daily prayer life. And this beer-only fast was done under papal approval. But my point um, in sharing this story is that there are certain ways to grow in holiness which are applicable to everyone, such as regular mass attendance, frequent confession, and frequent reception of the Eucharist. And then there are other ways to grow in holiness which are not applicable to everyone. Sorry, but you as a wife, and especially as a mother, cannot do the season of Lent on Doppelbach. Period. (laughs) You just can't do it. You shouldn't do it. On the flip side, okay, engaging in the conjugal act is, for married couples, an opportunity to grow in holiness. Whereas consecrated religious have made a vow of chastity, right? And completely renounced the conjugal act as a means of growth in holiness. It doesn't work for them. It works for you if you choose to let it, if you're intentional about it. Okay, so back to the point. Spiritual health is the most important aspect of our health. However, between physical, mental, and emotional health, is there one which is the least important? Asking this question as a married woman is, I think, the wrong question. We have to examine this question within the context of our specific vocation. Your obligations to your husband and to any children demand that you sincerely seek to maintain your physical, mental, and emotional health. I received a reprimand on this subject a few years ago from a Catholic doctor. Um, I have struggled with autoimmune disease my entire life, Um, but my second child in her first year of life um, was suffering because I was suffering. I was not sleeping well and it was affecting her sleep and it was affecting our relationship, our ability to bond, and it was affecting my relationship with her older brother, and yes, my relationship with my spouse. When I went to the doctor to seek some advice, she said to me, isn't it interesting how little we mothers pay attention to our own health until it becomes apparent that a child 
is being negatively affected and is suffering due to our neglect of our own self. Ouch. <laughs> um, my child's suffering could have been prevented had I taken better care of myself earlier on. Ouch. We cannot wait until our husband and children are suffering to wake up and realize that we need to be taking better care of ourselves. If it is possible to spare our husband and children needless suffering, then we ought to be doing so. That's why we teach our kids to brush their teeth, right? We don't wait until they're suffering from cavities or make excuses that cavities will teach them better than we ever could, right? That's needless suffering for them and neglect on our part. We as wives, and again, especially as mothers, have an obligation to be physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy because our health directly affects our ability to serve our family in those ways which God has assigned us to do so. Not because of the extra stuff we've taken on, not because of the stuff you think your husband is trying to get you to do, but because of those tasks which God has placed on our shoulders as women. But what then does health have to do with beauty? Um, two quotes from Carrie Gress's The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity. This first one, which we shared in episode 36, quote, There are generations of people who don't know what it means to even be an adult, much less a spiritual adult. Spiritual adulthood usually depends on a basic level of maturity. One priest who forms seminarians confided to me that the first thing he has to teach many of them is how to be adults. Basic attitudes and habits like taking responsibility for one's actions, being considerate of others, using good manners, and punctuality are taught first. Grace builds upon nature, so there must be a functioning adult before there can be spiritual adulthood. End quote. And a second quote, this is from chapter 9 of the same book, quote, Women have a unique gift to draw men and children to them and through them to God, through their beauty, end quote. This second quote especially should tell us that Gress is talking about much more than just superficial surface level beauty, although we will be diving further into that next week. But we were just talking about how we have a responsibility as wives to be physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy because only if we are can we truly excel in those duties which God has placed upon wives and mothers. A healthy wife, a wife who is emotionally and mentally healthy as well as physically healthy is a beautiful thing to behold. It is the mentally healthy woman who excels at respect for her husband, as an example. It is the emotionally healthy woman who excels at being patient with her children and training them to be functioning adults, as another example. And physical health is not to be underrated given the vital task which women have to make home healthy, attractive, 
and comfortable for everyone who resides within that home. These attributes being taken from a, co- uh, from a quote from Pope Pius XII, which we have shared many times in this podcast. One more tangent to this fifth layer of discussion. This is going to be a little bit of a long tangent, but I think it's necessary, and this should sound familiar. Commanding that we take Sabbath rest is one of God's ways of commanding that we prioritize our health. When we take Sabbath rest, whatever we do for rest ought to be recentering ourselves on God. If we are properly centered on God, then we will be healthy, right? That's the Catholic definition of health is centeredness on Christ. When we take Sabbath rest, we're supposed to be steeping ourselves in praise and gratitude and worship. We're supposed to be, as we've talked about when covering planned and spontaneous rest, tapping into that store of God's grace, which is always available to us, but which requires our response in order to receive. What I want to say here, though, about that is the amount of time which God commands, which God mandates for you to take, Um, is something which I think requires some examination. On the seventh day, God rested. On the seventh day, God rested. He wants us to take a whole day out of our week. So let's be either really generous or really stingy with ourselves, depending on how you look at it, and say that in a 24-hour period, you spend a solid 10 hours sleeping, okay? Let's just say that. That means there's 14 additional hours in which everything you do is supposed to be restful. And yes, part of that ought to be mass and hopefully your daily rosary at the bare minimum. But if you were truly able to take the whole 24-hour period to rest, you would be doing other things aside from going to Holy Mass and saying your daily prayers. You would be doing things that you enjoy that relax you, that enable you to put your feet up, that enable you to enter into God's joy and remind yourself that life is not all drudgery, that all that God created is good and that all that is good comes from God. You might eat special food. You might feast, eat a little more than usual. You might take time to read a book or pursue a hobby that you don't have time for the rest of the week. You might sit and talk to a friend, or for goodness sake, talk to your husband for more than five minutes about something other than the house and the kids and the chores and the finances. Here's the thing. (laughs) Less for wives without children and more for mothers. I have shared this before that A very wise priest told my mother and her mom tribe at the time when I was in high school that they, the women in that group of mothers, if unable to take Sunday truly off because of the legitimate needs of their family, were still not exempt from the command to take Sabbath rest. And so they needed to be taking Sabbath rest 
throughout the week. Let's be really religious about this and say that you have 14 hours of Sabbath rest, which you are commanded to take during your waking hours throughout the course of a seven day period. Are you taking two whole hours of Sabbath rest each weekday? And again, considering that if you were taking it all in one big chunk, yes, mass would be part of that. Yes, daily prayer would be part of that. But there would be all that other stuff too, which is just there for the sake of enjoying life, for the sake of rejoicing in God's creation, that he created so much to enjoy in this life. Then even when you have to take Sabbath rest spread out, throughout your week, you still need to be doing that other stuff that you would normally do if it was one straight 14-hour block. Mothers frequently say that they go to daily mass and do their daily rosary, and that's wonderful, but they're also saying that even though they're doing those things, they're still burning out. But see, if you were taking all of your Sabbath rest on Sunday, most of us, most of us, so far from sainthood as we are, would find it very monotonous to spend all of Sunday praying 35 decades of the rosary and attending mass seven times over. Okay, there's there's a reason that that is not what God asks of you in your specific vocation as a wife and a mother. And so if you're spreading Sabbath rest over the course of your week and you're wondering why it is that, yes, you are going to daily mass with all the kids in tow and you are gathering the kids together every day to pray five decades of the rosary and yet you still feel burnt out, well, It's because you need to do other things that fill you up with joy and that rejuvenate you and refresh you. And that's okay. Sabbath rest is about recentering ourselves on Christ, seeking to be healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So I challenge you, are you taking a solid total of at least 14 waking hours of Sabbath rest over the course of your week, which does not amount to 35 decades of the rosary and holy mass seven times over. Daily mass is not a command for the married woman. So any mass outside of Sunday mass does not necessarily need to be considered part of your Sabbath rest. In fact, That's just part of daily rest, daily resting in the Lord. But we need to differentiate for your own sake, for the sake of your own health, between daily ordinary rest and actual Sabbath rest, Easter rest. There's a reason in the church that we have fasts and feasts. There's a reason that Sunday is supposed to be a day of abundance, of going above and beyond in terms of 
the word frivolity has such a bad rap, but, you know, the family tradition, say, of getting donuts on Sunday. Would you call it frivolous? Sure. Would you call it sinful? No. If you're spending that time as a family, you're getting quality family time in, and it's a treat, right? We have to differentiate between daily ordinary rest and actual Sabbath rest. 14 hours a week, ladies. Take that as a hard command because it's in the Ten Commandments. Count your Sunday Mass and your Sunday Rosary as part of those 14 hours. From there, you have a responsibility to do any other good thing which steeps you in praise and gratitude and worship and enables you to carry out your daily responsibilities to your family with joy. The discipline of joy is a discipline of grace. Okay, so in this fifth layer of discussion, what I wanted most to emphasize for you is that the word beauty, when talking about our ability to draw our husbands and children closer to God through our utilization of it, is used in reference to the combination of our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual states of health. Our God is a God of perfection. And so when we talk about beauty, we have to understand that for beauty to have a legitimately evangelical power, it must be ordered towards God. And something which is ordered towards God is in a word healthy. Order. Health perfection, evangelization, beauty. These words ought to be closely tied in the mind of the wife striving for sainthood. We will stop here for this week and continue next week with part three of Healthy Holy Beauty. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you, and we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm-hmm.